0: All right, all right. Well, as you guys are grabbing the seats, uh, or if you're online and and you're still sitting, um, we are. There are a couple of announcements that I did want to briefly revisit, and I hope, uh, you know, as I try to remember as many of them as I can. Uh, there are several really important things that uh, that I remember, and that's why we have the bulletin. And so we send that out every Friday. If you'd like to be a part of receiving that, uh, please let us know. We could get that uh, sent to you on Friday um, at the latest Saturday, but usually it's on Fridays. Uh, some great things going on um, is that. Um, on the 16th, uh, some of the Bible studies are opening up, and so if you would like more information about a uh, women's study in the morning or uh, a, a co-ed study at night, uh, men and women's study at night, uh, go ahead and go to the bulletin and get some information there. Uh, also, Women's Ministry is doing a lunch bunch on June 24th from 1130 to 1. Yes, we have people who are excited about VBS and Women's Ministry. Um, people don't do that when I preach. It's fine. It's fine. I'm just saying. No, now- see, now It's pity. It's pity. I will receive it. It won't mean a lot, but I will receive it. Um, no. Uh, so we're really excited um, to be able to, to have women come together uh, and just continue to, to nourish their, their bodies through food and nourish their souls through devotion. So, oh man, some of you are like, I'm already not ready to listen to him. Uh, he's just silly. So we're uh, We're really excited. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Um, I'm going to ask that you join me in a word of prayer. I know we've prayed uh, once already, but um, we can never pray too much. And as we enter into receiving and hearing and experiencing God's word, uh, may we enter into it with the right heart, with the right mindset, that we would take away distractions. Uh, the things that we're worried about need to get taken care of before the new week. Uh, new week. Uh, some of us trying to figure out the last few weeks of school. Some of us trying to figure out now that school's over, what do we do with the kids? I mean, there's it's a lot going on. Uh, so will you join me in a word of prayer so we get ready to kind of release those things so that we can take hold of the things God has for us. Father, I thank you so much for who you are, and I thank you for each person who hears my voice, Lord, whether they're here in person, watching online, or maybe listening or watching at a later time. God, we, uh, we know, we know, Lord, that each person who hears my voice is someone who is created by you, loved by you, that Jesus died for, and that the Holy Spirit would love to draw closer to the heart of the Father. So, Lord, I pray that you would work, that you would open up our eyes and our ears and our hearts to what it is that you have for us. I pray that I would decrease, that you would increase, that you would speak in a personal, powerful, impactful way to each and every one of us, Lord. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we mentioned, we're going to be in the Bible app. If you want to follow along, we'll be in 1 John 5 if you want to follow along there. Um, Now, this upcoming week, uh, we are getting to do something really exciting as a family. Um, So I grew up in the Bay Area. Steph and I actually both grew up in the Bay Area. Some of you know the story that uh, we were born two days apart, 35 hours specifically apart, in the same hospital. So we were hanging out in the nursery together and I looked over and I was like, hey baby, you know, it's very, um, sorry, it's a horrible joke, I get it. Boo, thank you for being realistic with me. Um, don't encourage me. So uh, we were able to, you know, we met in high school, but grew up in the Bay Area, and I love uh, Bay Area sports. And so I might get more booze here, but I love uh, the San Francisco Giants. I love San Francisco 49ers. It's too much now, guys. Uh, I'm just kidding. San Francisco 49ers, uh, Golden State Warriors. Um, and so I love Bay Area sports. And this week, uh, for the first time, I get to bring my girls, our whole family, we're going to go up to see a game at uh, Oracle Park up in San Francisco because I want them to, you know, I, the, I've been to Petco a couple, like a month ago and I, I really liked it. It's a beautiful place, but I didn't want their first game, the girls' first game, to be here because I didn't want them to be swayed by you Padres fans to switch their allegiances. And so, wow. <laughs> uh, all right, let's go. Let's go. Um, so uh, with that said, we're going to, to San Francisco to be able to watch a game on Thursday. And I one of the things that I, I love going to the park and I really enjoyed my time in Petco, um, but there's, there's one instance that happened to me about, gosh, maybe 12 years ago uh, when I went to Dodger Stadium. Anyone been to Dodger Stadium? Can we all like collectively boo about Dodger Stadium? We could all be on boo. Yeah, we could be on the same page for that one. Um, but I bring that up because we were there and... Uh, I don't even, they're playing the Cubs because my friend I was going with was a, is a Cubs fan. And I remember we showed up and, you know, the game, I don't even remember who won. There's one thing that stuck out about that, that game, that night, is that as we were leaving and we were walking back to our car, we look up and probably about 300 feet or so, uh, no, 300 yards, excuse me, um, up that way, all of a sudden I see someone who's a Dodgers fan with a baseball bat hitting someone who was a Cubs fan repeatedly. And I remember my first thought. My first thought was, "Is I should go do something." Um, and you know, me and the the pastor I was with, and you know, our wives were both there. And like, you know, don't don't do that. But you know, you have this initial thought, and you kind of question later on, should you have done more? But I remember my next thought was, "Okay, well, I'm going to call 911." So I call 911, and I'm letting him know. You know, I'm at I'm at uh, Dodger Stadium, and I see you know a gentleman who is. Um, Gentleman's probably a, a loose word at that point because he wasn't being a gentleman. But someone who is, is hitting over a Cubs fan with a baseball bat, um, and he just jumped into a white car. But now, years later, I'm like, what well, was he wearing? A Dodgers jersey? Was he wearing a, a, a white tank top? I couldn't. I remember white, and I remember hitting. I'm like, what? How tall was he? Um, what did he have any facial hair? Did he have any other discerning or, or or defining characteristics? And and the memories over time start to fade. So in the moment. In the moment, I was able to be a pretty good witness as to what happened. And my hope, and, and this may be wishful thinking, but as we left that day, because he, as he, he hit him a couple times, he went into a white car, and he just kind of drove off into the masses of cars that were leaving um, the park at the time. And we left, you know, a, a few minutes later. And as we're leaving, we, we, I looked down one of the side streets, and I saw a white car pulled over, and I was hoping and praying that that was that. Was that but I don't know in the moment, calling 911, I could be a witness to something and I could give whatever details I knew. But sometimes there's other witnesses that are better than others. There's some who could say, okay, uh, this person was 5'8". He had a mustache. He had a tattoo, you know, of an anchor on his left uh, forearm. Uh, He was someone that went into a car that was a Nissan Sentra white uh, with a license plate. and like, You know, whatever. And so obviously that would be impossible from 300 yards away, Um, I can't read all that. But that idea of some people are really good at all those details right away, able to witness, able to share, able to say this is what's happening and this is what needs to be done. And I bring that all up because for many of us our topic today, our sermon topic is called Becoming a Greater Witness. We've been looking at greater than, a look at 1 John over the past, this will be the fifth week of the series. And we talked about searching for a greater joy and pursuing a greater world, showing greater love, and then um, being able to, I forget last week's sermon, which is the most embarrassing because it was last week, but um, just that idea of, oh, experiencing a greater victory. So what I what I want to do today is focusing on the idea of becoming a greater witness. What does it look like for us to be able to be a witness? Because if we hear the wit- word witness in a Christian context, we know we're called to share the gospel. We know that we're called to to do to be able to to have a reason for our faith, and and we take it seriously. And yet, the word witness, or the word evangelism, or the word reaching out to the lost that that phrase those can those can stir up some difficulties because we're like how do I do that? What does that look like? How do I need to live? And people know what I struggle with. So how can I share with them? Um, all these different details. So how do we become a greater witness based off of what we see in first John chapter five? We're just going to look at a few points here, um, about four points. And then we will, uh, we'll tie up the, the sermon in the series. So we're going to start in first John five and um, we are going to start off in verses one and two. Um, and the first, Point is that a greater witness is someone who loves God and God's children, who loves God and his children. Here's what we see in 1 John 5, starting in verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. Now, it's interesting in John's argument here, because if you've been, as you've been following along with us, Uh, A lot of John's argument about love comes from, here's how we know that you love God is that you love his people. This one kind of reverses that argument. He says, this is how you know you love people by loving God and obeying his commands. That there's this interplay that takes place between loving God, loving others and obeying commands, obeying what God's called us to do that shows and allows us to be witnesses to who God is to those around us. Now, if you have some familiarity with, with Jesus' words, we recognize that the greatest commandments are to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love others. So love God, love people, and obeying commands is, is something that we see all of these are, are proofs or, or they, they are the fruit that are born out of a relationship with God. So have you known people? Have you known people that in the midst of difficulty or, 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 or tragedy or heartache, the love for the Lord is tested and the love for the Lord has been shown to be true. We know people who have gone through circumstances that we think would, would, would shatter us, and in many cases they do, and yet they are held up by their love of God, the love for his people. That we see that you know, I have friends who have, uh, are in law enforcement um, in L.A., and, and they've shared about how, you know, I, their, their words are, I don't know how someone could do this job without a faith in God, without a hope, because you see so many painful, tragic, violent, angering, I mean, so many circumstances, and you see such difficulty. How do you not have How do you do that without a faith? How do you do that without something that can hold you firm in the midst of the storms? See, when we love God and we love him in such a way that it's not just as we talked about recently that 1 John 3, 18 talks about how dear children, let us not love with words and tongue, but with actions and in truth. We talked about how a greater love is one that is sacrificial one that is generous, one that is founded on truth and one that are and proven by action. That kind of love cannot happen just on our own strength. That kind of love happens when we remain and are connected and abide in the vine and abide in our relationship with Jesus. And so, when we love God and we love people, that stands out to a culture that wants to tear down one another, wants to um, cancel one another, wants to find reasons to dislike one another, wants to find reasons to divide one another. When we love God, and out of that love for God, we love those who we might not agree with, we might not, you know, whatever it may be, yet we love them because while we were still sinners, Christ first loved us. That there are none that are righteous, no, not one. That our love for God and his children drives us. And if we are known by our love, it allows for us to be a greater witness. Number two, the second one is that we love God and his children. The second one that we'll see in the next couple of verses, this idea of we a greater witness is someone with obedience to God's commands. We see it here, verse three. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. That in and of itself, you're like, oh, that that's... Ooh, there's a weight to that. And then the very next verse says, and his commands are not burdensome for everyone born of God overcomes the world. See, this, other, this idea of obeying or keeping his commands or commandments, yes, it means like following the, the, the word of the Lord, following what God says, obeying those commandments. The, the word picture here in the Greek is the idea of a soldier who is carrying out the orders of a superior officer. So it's it's this idea. Hear the orders. It's I'm gonna carry those out. So when we talk about you know we're trying to train a dog uh, to do like anything, and Ember just looks at me and and you know I may I don't know he's really cute, but he doesn't he doesn't respond. He doesn't obey. Uh, the other day we uh, accidentally left the door open, and he like ran out into the street. And so all of a sudden like we just have these moments of like abject fear. Of what's gonna happen? And because he's playful, he just like ran around, and then I was like, "Come here!" And, and he actually came, and it was like this moment of like you know, the sun rays came through the clouds. There were like angelic chorals, choirs singing, uh, the Messiah handles Messiah. It was amazing. No, but it, just this idea of normally he wouldn't listen to anything. Now we often say sometimes maybe in a in a, I in a, um, I don't know in a coach athlete um, relationship uh, or, or in a boss um, employer relationship, you know, we kind of hear that phrase, you know, if, if you say jump, I say how high, right? It's like jump, you, how high? See obedience doesn't say how high when someone sa- when God says jump, obedience, when God says jump jumps, right? We just go, okay, this is what God's calling me to do. I'm going to obey. I don't need to know all the details of how high and how far and what it's going to look like. Where am I going to land? It's jumping. It's Peter walking on water when says, Jesus, is that really you? And Jesus says, come out onto the water. Well, God, how cold, how cold is the water? Is it gonna, do I need to put my sandals off when I go in the water? Like, Do I want to feel the water in between my toes? Are the fish going to start tickling the bottom of my, of my feet? Lord? Are, I mean, what's it going to look like? Am I going to skate? Am I going to walk? Am I going to crawl? And it's, it's not asking questions. It's obeying. He it says, "Come to me." It says immediately Peter gets out of the boat and walks on water. So obedience to God's commandments is following God's word. It's by no means taking away from this. It's recognizing that God has shared His commandments and His word reveals what His heart is and how we ought to live in order to be a greater witness because if we know God's commands and we ask so many questions or, or, or we don't follow through or, or we have issues, then it's kind of like if you look, were to look at me and see how my dog responds, like, yeah, oh, he's probably not a very good dog owner. Probably right. How would that then reflect if God's people know that God's calling them to do something and we hesitate or we don't or we make excuses or whatever it is, how will other people not only view those Christ followers, but then view the one they're following? Oh, well, I guess God doesn't make a big difference in their lives because they're, they're, not, they're not doing. Now, let me be clear. Does that mean that every time you feel like God's saying something, you just, you just jump right into it? No, no. We have to test the spirits. As First John 4 says, we have to seek godly counsel. But when the answer is yes, we say yes. When the answer is no, we say no. So I'm not saying avoid godly counsel. I mean, Proverbs is very clear to seek godly counsel. So, so don't just say, oh, I, I heard a sermon today that I'm supposed to, you know, whatever it may be. No, seek godly counsel, seek God's word, seek God's voice. But when the answer is yes, then go, do, say, be. Whatever it is that God's calling you to go or to do or to say or to be. So. The first thing a greater witness is someone with, with love for God and God's children. It's someone with obedience to God's commands. The, the third part we see in verse 4 is that it's someone that has victorious faith. Victorious faith. Here's what it says. The second part of verse 4 and verse 5. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God. Now, Let me unpack this for a moment that this victorious faith, because I think if many of us were honest, the faith that we have is one that um, we believe it, we voice it, but maybe we don't always experience the victory that comes with it. When um, I was uh, at uh, Mount Hermon, which is a summer camp up in uh, the Santa Cruz Mountains up in the Bay Area, It was 2005 and I was a camp counselor. And there were, you know, three different rotations of camp counselors. I was on one of them. There were four other guys with me. um, And then uh, I think five girls. So, you know, three teams of 10. Unnecessary, sorry for the unnecessary details. Um, But what we would do is then there'd be, there'd be different like games and events. And so we'd have four different teams. And uh, my team um, was the best. At getting in last place like we were very good at it it was chef's kiss fantastic so we um and so we would we would go into these events and you know there's one where it's like you're you're in a pool and you know you like you have like a little joust right and like there's two pillars and there's one person against the other and i'm walking up against guys that are my friends that are Stronger, faster, just in general, better at all these things than me. And so I walk up, and you know what my first thought is: there's no way I'm gonna win this, right? And you get ready, and then you take one, you take two, and you take a dip in the pool. So you recognize, you know, just kind of go into it like I'm not gonna win, you know, <laughs> like there's there's just no there's no hope. There were other ones that we were uh, in the middle of this field, and there was a large tarp, and by large I mean I mean uh, probably like I don't know a third. Yeah, about a third of the parking lot. So a huge tarp covered in, in water and soap. And we were strapped to someone else on the other side with harnesses. And what you would do is you would start in the middle, which is a, it was like a kiddie pool filled with jello. It only gets worse. And you would go and you would, you would eat all the jello, put it in your mouth, turn, and then you'd have a corner. The four contestants would have their own corner. And you'd run and you would, That's even gross saying it. So then you would regurgitate. You would mama bird feed uh, a pitcher, spit it all out, and then you'd go back and try to do it until the very end. Until it was filled up, and then some crazy person on your team would drink it. It was the worst. So um, here's the problem with that, aside from all of it. And what happens is I would run, and you're again, you're running on watery, soapy tarp. And so you slip around, and every time I would do this, I would run and the person that was attached to me, because again, you're, you're kind of going this, ideally you'd get some sort of like rhythm going where they go and you go, that's called teamwork, that's not what we were doing, it was, this was our opponent. And so every time I'm going, I get jello in my mouth, I go to baby bird, a pitcher, and then all of a sudden you just go because the person behind you is stronger. What do I do every time I start that game? There's no way I'm gonna win this, I'm going to lose. For some of us, when it comes to maybe temptations that we experience, we go into temptation thinking, there's no way I can overcome this. And we enter into the moment already resigned to our defeat. Maybe it's a habit that you want to pick up. Maybe it's a bad thing you want to let go of, a sin that you want to let go of. Maybe it's a, a, a habit you want to take hold of. Maybe it's, I want to I wake up and I want to have quiet time, devotional time with the Lord every single morning but you go to bed knowing I know I'm going to hit snooze. I know I'm going to end up just sleeping through it. I know I'll last for four days and then something will come up with the kids and I won't make it or I won't be able to do it. There's no way I'm going to win this. See, when we have a faith, when our faith is lived out in such a way that it is voiced, but not victorious, then it's a witness that does not, become as winsome as we would like it to be? We could still be witnesses with our words and with our tongue, but are we still witnesses with in action and in truth? Do our actions follow through on our words? Or when a temptation comes, a struggle comes, or a good thing we want to do presents itself, maybe it is to be a witness and to share, I want to share Jesus with someone and I want to build a relationship, but I'll find reasons not to. There's no way I'm going to win this. There's no way I'm going to this person's going to be one to Christ or follow the Lord cuz look how far gone they are without recognizing that we have all been far from God. We have all fallen short and we all need Jesus. So we don't come from a holier than thou, let me help you. We come from a let's let's sojourn on this journey together. Cuz here's where I've stumbled. Perhaps through the way God has worked in my life, I can help you not stumble in these same places. And maybe together, arm in arm, side by side, we could reach an understanding of who Jesus is and there could be a life-changing relationship. But if we enter into any sort of relationship like that, thinking we're not going to do it, we're going to fail. If our faith is voiced but not victorious, then we're not being the greater witnesses God's called us to be. So a greater witness is someone with love for God and his children, obedience to God's commandments, victorious faith. And the fourth and final point is is someone who a greater faith, a greater witness is someone with eternal life through Jesus Christ. Let's bring back the passage. And I'm gonna have to unpack a couple things because in verses eh, like six through eight, six through nine, things get a little not not not, not bad, just It's worth unpacking a little bit because it might be a a tad confusing for us at first read. So let's pick this up in verse 6. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there were three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And the three are in agreement. We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is a testimony of God, which has been given about his son. We'll stop there for now. Uh, in verse eight, it talks about how um, there are three witnesses, the spirit, the water, and the blood. And so I want to unpack this a little bit um, because there's different interpretations. that in This book was written by John, one of Jesus' very close friends. The same John wrote the Gospel of John. In John chapter 19, when Jesus has just died and, and a, um, one of the soldiers uses a spear to pierce his side, it talks about how it gushes with water mixed with blood. And so there are some interpretations, some commentators who are pointing to that usage of water and blood from the crucifixion and Jesus' death and tying that in here to specifically talk about, see, so Jesus, Jesus died. That's, that's the connection. But there are a couple things here. That first, the fact that the spirit is mentioned, and there's some question as to why this is this way. Why, you know, why is the spirit specifically mentioned? Part of this has to do with the Deuteron- in Deuteronomy. It Deuteronomy talks about how if you're going to um, be a witness, there has to be two, or excuse me, there have to be two or three witnesses to something. Specifically, two witnesses, and so the witnesses are so the spirit, but also water and blood. And so it's pointing to the fact of you know there are witnesses who are saying that. Jesus is who he says he is, and God is one of those witnesses. God, the Spirit, is one of these witnesses. We ought to take his testimony as greater than our own. But here's here's the the interpretation I think um, seems to to make the most sense um, as I've been studying it. It's this idea that if you look at the Spirit, the water, and blood in that order, in Jesus' baptism, It talks about how he went into the water and as he did, the spirit descended like a dove and you hear the father's voice say, this is my son whom I love with whom I am well pleased. It's one of the, the, one of the main, if not the one of the only, if not the only time where we see God, the father, God, the son and God, the spirit all in this one place at this one specific event. Now we know that, Jesus was there in the beginning with creation, and we know the Spirit hovered over the waters. But in, but in the baptism passage, we see God the Son in the water, God the Father's voice, and God the Spirit descending like a dove. We see all three parts of the Trinity in one moment. And so there's the, the Spirit coming down, the water referring to baptism, that Jesus didn't need to be baptized because if he had sinned, but he was baptized in order to fulfill all righteousness, which is what it says in Matthew, and to set an example and to make sure that, that we know that this is the command we ought to do, to repent and be baptized. And then the third one is the blood. And so that refers to his death. It refers to the crucifixion. And here's why it's important. If you were with us a few weeks ago, uh, as uh, Dan introduced the series, he talked about how there were different um, no- areas of Gnosticism, different beliefs that were creeping up within the church that First John um, combats. And one of them is uh, from a guy named Serinthus. So it's Serinthianism. And that's the idea that Jesus was a man until the baptism. Then the Holy Spirit came on and he became the Christ. But then right when the crucifixion happened, Jesus, or the Christ, so Jesus being fully God, that left him. So then Jesus died as a man. So the idea was that God was only in Jesus during his ministry. That is not what God says. That's not what the word is. That's not who Jesus says he is. His testimony, Jesus' testimony is that he is one with the father, that he is the son. And so that's why it's super important that when it talks about how that Jesus Christ is the specific verbiage, not Jesus, because people in that time would have taken Jesus just to be the human part and they would have taken Christ just to be the divine part. But it's the idea of Jesus Christ the Christ. So Christ isn't his last name. It's a title. It means the anointed one. It's the same word that we see in Hebrew. Or it's the same idea we see in Hebrew as the Messiah, the chosen one. So Jesus Christ, Jesus the Christ, fully man and fully God. As seen in the testimony of the spirit and the water at baptism and the blood on the crucifixion at the cross, both fully God, fully man, is the one who laid down his life for our sin to provide eternal life and invites us to eternal life through Jesus Christ. So we're going to close the last few verses in verses 11 and 12, and then we'll, we'll have some closing thoughts we will actually do verse ten. Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out, has made God out to be a liar, because they have not believed the testimony God has given about His Son. And this is the testimony: God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. And as we've said um, throughout our time together, that eternal life is not just going to heaven when you die. That we, we tend to think of eternal life as something that is out there, that is later, that is future. But eternal life is something that, as John 17, three says, it's, it's knowing the son and the father who sent him. So eternal life isn't out there, it's right here. Eternal life isn't future, it's now. Eternal life is an invitation that we can accept at any moment and recognize that Jesus Christ, Jesus, the Christ, fully God, fully man, laid down his life for us because God loves us. We blew it. Jesus paid for it and we must receive it. And because of that, eternal life starts the moment we recognize and confess Jesus as Lord and the moment that we live for him. Do you know what that means? That means that we don't have to be perfect witnesses to be able to share who Jesus is. What we need to do is be willing to love God, to obey commandments, to have victorious faith, and to have eternal life, and to live that relationship out. We see this. Uh, we did a devotional with our girls a few nights ago, and, and it was the story of the, uh, the demoniac in Mark in which the man was in chains and would slash himself and, and all the people, and they had to lock him up, but he was still able to fight against it. And Jesus comes and the man had been demon possessed. And so the demons, you know, the man runs up to him and says, you know, talks about how, you know, don't send us into the abyss. Like, what about those pigs? Can we go over there? And Jesus says, I'll let, you know, I'll let you go in the pigs. The pigs go over the cliff and they all die. That those who are the pig herders uh, are fearful Um, I mean, they just went their livestock and their livelihood, but also they were filled with demons. Like, it's it's just a crazy situation. They asked Jesus to leave. And then the demoniac, the man who had just been running around a, a cemetery naked with slashes over his wrist or over his body, goes and says, Jesus, let me come with you. Jesus says, no. He says, go and tell, go home and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. And he leaves them. This is in the Decapolis, which is this idea of this 10 cities in a specific region. The next time Jesus comes there, there are thousands who want to hear his message. Why? Because one person who didn't have theological training, he didn't go get a master's, he didn't go to Bible college, he didn't didn't even spend more time with Jesus than however long that day was. Someone just said, I will be a witness. I will just go and tell them how much the Lord has done for me. It's as simple, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was broken, but God is healing me. I once was struggling, and now I receive victory. I once hated everybody, and now I love God and his people. I once obeyed my own way and the way I want to live, and now I obey his commandments. I once voiced a need for God, and now I'm victorious in my faith with God. I once thought I had eternal life and now I experience it. You go and tell the Lord how much He's done for you. One person who does that changed the lives of thousands. How much more can we, here in person, those of you online, how much more can we have that same impact? So for those of you who are watching online, you can see the screen. As we listed out what a greater witness looks like. We list it all out and it says a greater witness is someone who, L, loves God and his people. O, obeys his commandments. V, has victorious faith. And E, has eternal life. So a greater witness is someone with love. Loves God loves people and is willing to show that love with generosity, sacrifice, proven by action, and founded on the truth. The truth that God loves each and every one of us, that he breathed life into each and every one of us, and he wants a relationship. So are we people who are going to be, Witnesses in the moment, saying, "Here's what God did, and here's what's happening." And if someone were to call us and call us up and say, "What has God done for you?" I oh, you could start sharing everything. You could be a great witness. Or will you be like me if I if I'm thinking about that time at um, Dodger Stadium when I don't remember if he was wearing a tank top or a jersey. I don't remember how tall he was. I I don't remember all the details. I just did the best I could. But When we have a relationship with God, then we can be called to be a greater witness with more detail. And it's, yes, study your Bible. Yes, get education. Yes, grow in your knowledge and wisdom. Yes, get into small groups and Bible studies and Sunday schools so that you can have fellowship. Yes, get into community. Yes, serve. Yes, do these things. But don't let the fact that you're not doing that mean that you're not willing to be a witness first. Allow those things to grow and shape and form so that you can just go and tell those around you how much the Lord has done for you. Father, we thank you so much for who you are, Lord, and I pray that as we are closing this series and and closing this sermon, Lord, that we would remember what you said, Jesus, in, in John 13, that people would know us your disciples by the way we love one another lord may we be people who love deeply and not the kind of love that sacrifices truth but the kind of love that coincides love and truth and marries those two together in such a beautiful way jesus just as you married love and truth to those around you and so lord we recognize that love in of itself is not our end goal Loving you and being loved by you is. And then out of the overflow of what you pour into us, may we pour into those around us, letting them know they are the beloved and telling them how much you have done for us in our own lives. Help us to become greater witnesses for your glory so those far from you can be brought near to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.